0: Hi, one of the features here on Less the Book Coach is going to be a weekly podcast. Everybody has a story. I spent 17 years in radio asking questions, and until I started this series, I had no idea how much I missed it. The format of these podcasts is going to be a guest and me in a conversation, and you get the eavesdrop. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed the conversation. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is Penny Villegos, a Canadian Olympian, a synchronized swimmer, and now a successful business person in Montreal. Penny, let's go back. Uh, you you came out of retirement to compete in the Barcelona Games. Catch us up on what your career was like prior to that.
1: I um, I'll be happy to. That my career was a, a long career uh, spanning twenty one years and. Um, my my twin sister and i uh did uh, the duet event and uh, over the years i also competed uh on eight person team um, from uh early years point of view 1980 uh was a huge year for um my sister and I were uh was completely unexpected we were newly senior um uh competitors at the senior national championships and uh we actually won the Nationals in 1980, which meant that we had qualified for the Moscow Games. And um, unfortunately, shortly after that, after being named to the Canadian Olympic team, uh, it was announced that Canada would be boycotting uh, those Games. So it was uh, a moment of great excitement, followed by uh, disappointment, knowing that we weren't going to be able to uh, to go on and do that. And uh, from, uh, you know, it was an excellent time for overall um, being on the national team, eight-person team, uh, where through 1980 to 1985, we were actually number one in the world at the World Championships and World Cup and Pan Am Games and all such things, but uh, certainly living the Disappointment of not going to the Olympics was was certainly very uh, significant.
0: And and you touched on it. You had competed a, uh, on the international stage. You had been to the Pan Am Games, the World Championships, and had good success on that stage. Yes. And so now, absolutely. Now I I would assume. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to really, you know, live this thing, but I can only assume that the Olympics are are the the crown jewel here. This is going to complete the the the, yeah. the career for you, or or at least give you that that last stage, isn't it?
1: For for an athlete, typically, the the Olympics are are the the ultimate. Uh, experience the ultimate goal, and um, and so they do. You know, even though if, if you take a look at a world championship or world aquatics uh, compared to the Olympics, you could say, well, the same people are competing. Um, at the Olympic competition, as would be at a world competition, um, and yet there, there's it's such a, a larger world event. So, so it does, you know, lend that additional uh, importance and and experience. You know, if we think of what happened following the Moscow boycott, um, the replacement competition in in the synchro world um was uh, a swiss open um where my sister and I did go and then compete and represent Canada at the swiss open in 1980 and in fact we won uh we were at that competition the first duet in the world to ever get a perfect uh score of 10 and um Essentially, we won the Olympic replacement competition, um, but that doesn't stand as, as history books or as the same level of accomplishment um, as w- as if the Olympics had actually taken place. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 it is of, of a different level.
0: And not to downplay the achievement. I mean, winning, winning the event in Switzerland is a big deal, but... Penny, Absolutely. Penny, I've known you for a couple of years, and this is the first time that that's come up in the conversation. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I you
1: know, I, you know, I, I, it's interesting you say that because for me, you know, it, it happened very early in my career, um, and and you know, we weren't expecting to win nationals that year, we weren't expecting to make those games, and so it was kind of like a very quick oh, and then oh. Uh, so it, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like we had built up for years and years to expect to make those games. It was more of a surprise. Um, but it's interesting, you know, when Vicky and I were inducted into the International uh, Swimming Hall of Fame, uh, which is uh, located in Fort Lauderdale, um, when we went there to the uh hall of fame they have a full extensive display um regarding moscow 1980 and of course the U.S. also, um, boycotted those games. And, um, and so there, there was, you know, images and history and different stories of people who, you know, were not able to live their Olympic dreams because of that boycott. And, and so it was, you know, quite something to relive, you know, those moments, you know, through other people's eyes of what, of what they lived through. And, you know, Depending on whether what stage people are at in their athletic career, uh, sometimes you know it could be um, you know their last chance to make a games, and by the boycott you know the full possibility of having Olympic experience was taken from them. In other cases, people were more lucky where they were able to uh, be young enough and to have another chance.
0: so uh, at that point what do you and your sister do? Uh, uh, L.A. is on the horizon, I would imagine. I believe it was L.A. after N84, wasn't it?
1: Exactly, exactly. So we uh, we absolutely set our sights uh, on L.A., and uh, we were going to university uh, full-time through that uh, uh, period of time, so we trained for another four years. And, um, you know, after... You know, a lot of success in in the years, uh, you know, in between. Um, In 1984 itself, uh, we were uh, really disappointed to not be chosen um, as the duet to represent Canada in L.A. So after, I guess, our disappointment in 1980, we trained for four more years and then did not make the games in L.A.
0: We're not going to get into why you didn't. Because I think that's a that's a whole nother program isn't it sure. why, why you didn't <laughs> make the games in LA uh, and but so now you what happens you retire because you come back after a lengthy retirement uh, to compete in in Barcelona what happens there
1: you know we what happened uh, you know it was only we came second but there was only one duet that got chosen so so we you know hence you know, not making it to LA. What happened is that we had uh, we both had one year left in university, and um, and uh, so you know we we felt that you know it was time to move on to other priorities. So we both planned for one more year to. Um, you know, for, for the pleasure of, of swimming. Um, but then as soon as we graduated from university, we retired in 1985. Um, and, and absolutely for five years, we were, uh, retired only focusing on our careers. We were not in the water, not training. Um, and, uh, it was really, uh, you know, just, um, an event in, in, uh, 1990. Um, we went to a a competition just to watch a competition that was uh, nearby and uh, to see friends and to catch up and um, it was while watching that competition that uh, i had a very unexpected uh, reaction where all of a sudden that that desire and that that internal flame uh, reignited where i just you know felt the urge that oh my goodness I want to try one more time. And that's what I did. I leaned over to my sister and I said what do you think if we give it one more shot? And she looked at me really dumbfounded at first and then kind of, you know, that thought settled in and and we both decided that we really wanted uh, to go back in. And I mean, we hear the word unprecedented a lot right now, but in the world of sport, that was definitely an unprecedented decision to to even think of coming back to a sport after uh, five years of not just not being in the sport, but not being physically active or training, we were really very much uh, focused on on our new priorities. Um, so, uh, you know, it was that uh, internal desire and, and you know, that Olympic dream that was never achieved, um, that all of a sudden there was that thought that what if we could? And once that thought had settled in, you know, the fear of, of what if we don't make it was, was really, you know, nothing compared to the thought of having to live with, you know, what if we had tried? Uh, so, so that set us upon our new journey.
0: Now you make the decision to come back, but uh, it's it's been a, a in the in the world of sport, it's been a fairly lengthy time, and training methods change, and and the, the approach to to any kind of sport changes. Did you go through that as well, or had that happened in synchronized swimming at that time?
1: That's a great question. And, and, you know, given the timing of, of when we did retire and come back, uh, it was dramatic. Uh, it was like a whole different world. The world of synchronized swimming, you know, before it was all about grace and, and, um, was, was, uh, really much more of, of a sustained and, and slow, um, type of sport where very difficult but a def- very different style and w- during the 5 years we were away everything changed it became a much more athletic sport uh, the movements were much quicker the the physical abilities when needed had changed, the training methods had changed, um, you know, pretty much everything had changed. And so, uh, you know, the, the desire to come back was one thing, but we were coming back to a completely different world that required a whole bunch of new skills and new ways of doing things.
0: How did that go?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, well, it was a huge, huge challenge. One of the things that we did right, and that was really, really important, was to uh, surround ourselves with uh, the right people, the right team, uh, who could help us. Um, we, uh, you know, we when we even thought of coming back, we spoke uh, to our, our main coach, Julie sovic and uh, asked what she thought about, uh, you know, the possibility of us coming back and uh, she believed in us right away and she said uh, let's do it we'll start training tomorrow Um, but right away as soon as we got together at the pool the first thing she said is you know everything's changed we're going to need a whole bunch of new people uh, on on board to help you Um, so we got a a weight training coach um, to help you, you know build our bodies we got a speed swimming coach to help us in our in our speed and uh to be more dynamic in the water and um and a coach also to help with the precision uh that we had in our synchro movement so it uh it was interesting it wasn't just like getting back in the water and starting you know it wasn't like oh you know riding a bicycle or something like that it was you know having a certain amount of past talent but starting you know from scratch but you know in some ways even even worse than that where before you know a a great strength we had was our flexibility and very long muscles now all of a sudden we had to be very quick and and much stronger and that training you know shortened our muscles and was almost countering the strength we had had in the past and we had to find a way to you know, adapt to what was new, um, but still try to preserve the strengths that we had had in the past. So it was really a question of, you know, creating something new and trying to make it even better.
0: You can handle the physical part of it, but the the mental, the, the preparedness has to be a big part of it. Penny, what are athletes going through at this time with the, with the delay of the Tokyo Games? Athletes that we're gearing towards Tokyo this summer and now it's it's on hold for at least a year possibly longer what what do athletes go through in their mind now
1: you know I I think your question is a great one because you know sport is very much a combination of, of the physical preparedness but also the mental preparedness and it's especially as you get closer and closer to a major game, uh, the mental um, plays an an even larger role. So, you know, given the number of months that were left to uh, Tokyo 2020, the the mental was a very large part of the preparation of of where the athletes were at. Um, So, you know, overall, I will say that the uh, overwhelming reaction was, first of all, extreme disappointment but settled quickly into, um, you know, a, a strong support of the decision, and saying, you know, the uh, what what's going on and and the uh, is bigger than the Olympics. You know, the importance of uh, of the world being being safe and uh, health and safety is far more important uh, than than any games, and uh, and so there, there's very much uh, an agreement um regarding the decisions that were made in fact i'm i'm really proud of the canadian olympic committee who took a leadership role and was the first country uh to make that decision that if it were held this year that they would not be sending uh, the athletes just because of uh, safety concerns so you know kudos to the canadian uh committee for for that leadership and then other countries quickly followed suit followed by um, the official announcement uh, from Tokyo. Uh, so, so that was good for them. And you know, it was, it went beyond just the concerns over safety of, of partici- participants, officials and crowds, uh, in Tokyo. What was starting to happen was that athletes around the world you know as facilities were closing down or as you know circumstances were being very difficult in in different countries um athletes felt the need to continue to train um and and so some of them were having to find ways to to try to uh keep training but but not always in uh optimal or safe situations so i think that it was a a good call uh for them to uh to, to make that, that postponement. And um you know, it, it it uh so athletes are dealing with all of a sudden physically not being able to train and uh and mentally dealing with that with that disappointment. And uh uh it's uh it's quite an adjustment. You know, it's um in terms of finding ways to to train as as things go on, there's an interesting uh, example where um, the Canadian water polo player in uh, in Calgary, uh, who was uh, you know uh, gearing up to be able to to go. Um, and uh, pools, of course, are closed down. Um, And so she wanted to find a way. After a month of not being able to swim, she was feeling like she was losing that physical ability. Um, And so she was thinking maybe we could put an above-ground pool in the backyard, um, but it's not deep enough to do eggbeater. And her dad works in landscape construction. So uh, they came up with a plan, and they made a pool in the backyard of stacked hay bales and lined it with carps uh and uh the water was so cold she wore a wetsuit um so that uh so that she could train and uh, it was pretty cute she uh, as she announced that she said closing down the pool was the last straw so i bailed myself out <laughs> and made my own
0: <laughs> it seems to me that you had some stories about training in some pretty cold facilities when you were making your comeback too so that's something that that swimmers have to face isn't it
1: it is it is and and you know athletes of all different types face many uh you know obstacles and and less than ideal conditions that's for sure and that takes a mental toughness uh you know what, what you know, I would say dealing with cold water is probably one one of the toughest things that uh, some swimmers uh, need to deal with. But there are many difficult conditions that um, that that people face, and and you know, for for so many athletes and Paralympians, um, you know, there's there's that strong desire, and, and there's just so much work and effort uh, that goes into it um you know and and so i just have so much respect for for everyone that uh you know is putting their heart and soul into the games and and who is shifting their planning and and now readjusting for for 2021 you know i saw something interested uh posted uh, by paralympians uh, who, who basically the message was they know a thing or two about dealing with dramatic change and, uh, and and so I thought you know that puts things in perspective as well. So you know health and safety of everyone around uh, is so important and, and and being able to readjust and uh, you know plan and do the best with the new circumstances is certainly something that everyone is facing.
0: Penny, you voiced support for the Canadian Olympic system and the Canadian Olympic officials to to withdraw. I believe that the decision is that athletes will not have to requalify. The team is the team, and it will carry forward. What about the that decision? I'm sure that for some some, because age is a cruel thing for athletes. Uh, some it
1: athletes,
0: is, yeah. some athletes might. In fact, be aging out, and and some younger ones might be coming into their prime. What do you think about that? Not having to requalify is that the right decision in this case?
1: Well, you know the the Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, the decision they made and the announcement they made um, was prior to the International Olympic Committee. Uh, announcing the postponement. And so Canada was waiting and, and hoping to hear of the postponement, um, but knowing at the same time that people were facing dangerous circumstances. So um, what, uh, what they announced was that if it were to be held in 2020, they would not be sending a Canadian team. And so that was the leadership uh, stance that they took. Now, in terms of qualifications, it actually... Um, What's been announced is that the teams um, and the athletes who had already qualified would remain qualified. But what happened, in fact, in many sports is that um, qualifications, because of, of the pandemic, qualification meets were already starting to be postponed so in many cases athletes did not yet have the chance to uh, to have their official qualifications so it it does you know change creates you know winners and uh, and uh, and losers in the sense that they have to face additional challenges so um you know people who already received their official qualification, remain qualified. Um, but for people who did not yet uh, meet those criteria, they they will be waiting for new dates and new competitions to be set. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, uh, age, is, age is a tough thing and years are, are, are a tough thing when you're an athlete. And athletes, you know, typically it's a four-year period and you try to plan and um peak at a certain time and um, for some athletes it could be to their advantage and for other athletes it would definitely be difficult uh, in terms of injury, in terms of age Um, and even in terms of planning, you know, there are athletes uh, you know, Simone Biles is one that I was thinking of that uh, was planning on retiring right after uh, Tokyo uh, this year Um, and uh, now she has announced she will continue but you know there's other people who are planning on you know, doing, uh, you know, additional degrees at school or had jobs set up. And, and so there's a whole lot of changes that are going on. But in terms of the athletes who get to qualify, for some, the delay will be an advantage. And for others, it will be a challenge and def- definitely a disadvantage. So it's, um, you know, athletes are not, uh, uh, Unaccustomed to uh, to challenges, but this one definitely does uh, change the mix of uh, what they're facing.
0: Penny, change has come up in our conversation here for the last twenty minutes or so, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that you speak about change. Tell us, tell us about your business and and how you've carried on after the Olympics, and and what do you do now?
1: Yeah, great, thank you. I. Um, I uh, changed definitely with a huge uh, um, part of my life. It was a, a dramatic change that I faced uh, um, with the... Uh you know, come back uh, to be able to get to Barcelona in 92 and and continued to be a, a big factor in the different aspects of my life, business life and personal life following the Games. And so, um, you know, having had so much uh, experience uh, through change and, and seeing what a, a large role change plays. I, uh, in my public speaking, keynote speaking, um, focus now on how to succeed when the game keeps changing. And um I think it's such such an important topic and oh my goodness with what's going on now, um, you know, continues to be even that much more important. Um and I, I focus on the people side of change. Uh, you know, when we see change sometimes we like to initiate change and sometimes change happens and um, you know, having strategies to to be able to find ways to find a silver lining and and to find a, a positive way forward uh, is something that is so so important in business and um and and in and in our own lives. So it's uh, it's something that I like to focus on and help uh, people with. And I know you know uh, CEOs of companies in terms of you know one of the most important assets they have are their people and. Um, Allowing people to find ways to to uh, adapt to change and to thrive uh, with change is something uh, that that's very important. And you know, it's it's an interesting time right now with the you know dramatic uh, events uh and rapid changes going on the amount of innovation and and new ways of doing things that are coming out of this because of the whole world being in a similar boat and and the need uh for new solutions has really driven an incredible wave of innovation and i think that it's an interesting uh, example of what can be done when when people put their minds to it and when people need to find new solutions uh, to to deliver what people uh, really need in the world right
0: now. Penny, thanks so much for your time. Our guest today has been Penny Villios, former uh, Canadian Olympian and now a keynote speaker on the aspects of change. That's today's podcast. Everybody has a story. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed asking the questions. And if you have any ideas for an interesting guest, or uh, you'd like to hear more on any topic, please send the idea along to bookcoach at gmail.com.